Powerful story, huh? Incredible. And uh, that story goes on, even though uh, Don's friend Christy died about six weeks ago, succumbed to her cancer. The story goes on because uh, that intentional influence for good will bear fruit in Don's life, the rest of her life, and everybody who knows that story. And what an incredible privilege to be that important to somebody at such a critical point in life. And everyone in this room has relationships like that. This series called Be Somebody for Someone or Be Someone for Somebody is, I think, the epitome of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, we could continue to talk about this, and the subject will come up many times in the course of a year's teaching because that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be salt and light, you know, to make a difference in things that matter. And, and mostly things that matter are relationships. In fact, we've begun this series just like Julie came up and, and talked about people who made a difference in her life. And uh, I did that myself. Uh, Jeff Cook did that. Pastor Dion did that. Some other people did that. And, and in almost every instance, those were people that you would never know about, never even know they existed. You know, they were, they were people that were just taking care of business, just being somebody to someone as a part of being a Christian person, and they changed lives, and we've all been changed by that, and so have you. So this is an important series. We've talked about, you know, the obstacles that keep us from doing that. We talked about, you know, pouring yourself into just a few. You can't be uh, somebody to everybody, but there are people who especially need you, and, and if you pray about that, God will prompt you. Uh, we talked about how it's important to know yourself and, and how you need to drop your guard and be vulnerable if that relationship is to be different and deep. And today we're talking about being a person of influence for good. Let's pray. Lord, we know that this is what you want for us. And, and we know too, Lord, uh, we uh, intrinsically know that this is the morrow of life. This is the essence of life. This is the rich stuff. This is what makes life great. You know, whether we succeed in our business, whether we're wealthy, whether we buy a new car, whether we kids go to the best schools, uh, secondary compared to being somebody of significance in the life of someone else. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the possibilities and help us to learn from your word how to do that better. By your spirit, Lord, enable uh, what the devil does not want, enable it to happen in our lives for the good of your kingdom, for our good, and for the good of those that we influence. We ask it in Christ. Amen. It's true that we all live in relationships. In fact, uh, John Donne, a poet in the 1600s, wrote, No man is an island entirely of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a piece of the main. And if a clod... Be washed away by the sea, Europe is the lesser. You know, even if a, a single dirt clod falls into the ocean, the continent is lesser. There is no such thing as an unimportant person. And I pray that you're grasping that more and more. You know, in, in olden times, I, I suppose people expressed feelings mostly with, with uh, poetry. In our culture, in these days, in contemporary time, we do it more with humor. Kind of tongue-in-cheek humor. Mark Twain, Will Rogers... All the late night shows, you know, we can't wait to hear that monologue and how they're going to comment on what the president is doing, what Congress is doing, or, or what some public person has done 
to make themselves, you know, the bunt of a joke, you know. Uh, for Americans, we sometimes, when we talk about relationships, when we talk about cooperation, when we talk about interconnectedness, we'll say, you know, how many light bulbs does it take a person to do one thing or another? And here are some of my favorites. Politicians, how many uh, politicians does it take to change a light bulb? Well, they rarely change anything. But it is likely they will approve funding to hang a new light bulb nearby. You know, I guarantee you they'll do that. Physicians, how many physicians does it take to change a light bulb? Well, one to make a referral to a lighting specialist. You know, one to consult on proper insertion. And one to handle the paperwork. Consultants, how many consultants does it take to change a light bulb? Well, they're not sure, but they'll get back to you a week from Monday. And Four-year-olds, in fact, you could put almost any child here, but I happen to have a four-year-old in my life right now. Uh, how many four-year-olds does it take to change the light bulb? Just one. She grabs the bulb while the whole world revolves around her. That's the way it works. <laughs> Lawyers, well, I don't know. It just depends on how many you can afford. Uh, procrastinators, how many procrastinators does it take to change the light bulb? Well, they're waiting until the lighting improves before they attempt the task, and Community organizers, it, it takes at least four, one to actually change the bulb and three others to design the t-shirts. Uh, wives, oh, I'm running on thin ground here, you know, thin ice. How, how many wives does it take to change the light bulb? Well, if the husband's not involved, we'll just assume that she's capable. We'll just say one, but it's going to take at least 30 minutes because when she gets up there, she's going to notice that the globe needs washing. And you're going to have to take that down. You're going to have to wash that. And while she's up there, she's going to notice that the tops of the cabinets are all dusty. And they're going to have to be clean. And then she's going to answer three phone calls while doing it. So one person, but maybe 30 minutes. And just, you know, so that I don't get too sexist here. How many husbands does it take to change the light bulb? I would say non-real men aren't afraid of the dark. And besides, honey, it's more romantic in the dark. You know, we can just, just leave it the way it is. What about you? You know? Who's the biggest influence in your life? Let's just start there before we even get to the text. We're going to look at uh, Jethro and Moses, uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro in just a minute, Exodus chapter 18. What about you? Who is the most influential person in your life? Experts will say it is family, it is school, and not really college and not really grad school. It's mostly grade school. Most people will recall a grade school teacher who made a difference. And we think they don't matter? Man, they matter huge. And it's not the subject matter they teach. It's who they are and the way that they uh, present their life to their students. Teachers, colleagues or peers, and then finally, media. For me, well, I'd have to say, you know, my wife certainly. You know, we've grown up together. You know, when we met, we were just kids. She's been a tremendous influence on my life. And then my folks, certainly. Vaughn and Myra Howard, you've never met them. You don't know who they are. You wouldn't even recognize a picture. Carl and Elizabeth Sunderman, my mom's parents, my maternal grandparents, tremendous influence as they lived out their Christian life. Farmers, not professional people, but man, I still think about them often. Mrs. Smallshreed, she was my teacher in third, fourth, and fifth grade. I went to a three-room school. Don't tell me that small schools don't produce great results. Still think of her. She was such an encourager, such an encourager. Paul Heinze, you know, was an eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade teacher. He took us on trips and taught me how to canoe and how to love the outdoors. My dad couldn't do that. He's a factory worker, didn't have that kind of time available. William Shutman, you know, tremendous pastor, but 
never received any awards, any honors, was just pastored small churches, but happened to pastor mine. Um, retired to a, a trailer in Florida, incredible guy, uh, has since gone to be with the Lord. Victor Markshausen, maybe a more famous guy, but you don't know him as well. He was the pastor that I interned with uh, during my seminary uh, education. Incredibly gifted guy who taught me a professional approach to ministry. You know none of those people, but they all had a tremendous impact on me. You are those people to somebody. And right now there are people that you're influencing. I pray for good. It's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, a, a passage I quote often, but, but never too often, where Paul says, do you find encouragement in being a Christian? Of course we do. Do we find consolation in God's love? Absolutely. Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Does the Spirit help us through difficult times? You know he does. Is, do you find you know, affection and compassion in your faith? Yes. All rhetorical questions. He's building us up for the closing, and he says, if that's true... Then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Consider each other more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. I'm going to come back to that passage because he goes to Christ a little later in the message. Well, today we're going to talk about the example of Moses and how Moses had influences in his life that resulted in him becoming an influence for good in the lives of others as well. In fact, it's a fascinating story because Moses was a nobody, born a slave in Egypt, and yet everybody knows the name Moses. Maybe one of the most outstanding characters in the Old Testament and he's one of the few people that we know from the time of his birth until the time of his death. Moses, a slave. Now, we're going to, in a minute, show how Moses' life is divided into three 40-year periods. For 120 years is how long he lived. But uh, we're going to be talking in this text about the division between the first 40 years and, and uh, uh, the second and the third, where he... Uh, finally begins to lead the children of Israel uh, to the promised land. So we're looking at Exodus chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Here we go. Now Jethro, who was the father-in-law of Moses, he was also a priest of Midian. You say, well, a priest of Midian, what does that mean? Was he a pagan priest? Well, actually, uh, Midian was the son of Abraham uh, by his wife Keturah after his more famous wife, Sarah, died. After Sarah died, uh, Abraham remarried, and his son born to him was Midian. And so the fact that he was a priest of Midian is the same that he was a priest of the faith of Abraham. And so he was a godly man, although he was not living among the children of Israel. He was living in Midian at the time. And this is where uh, Moses ran to after leaving Egypt. Uh, and he runs into this guy, and, and he marries his daughter. Uh, he heard of everything that God had done for Moses... And for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. You remember the ten plagues crossing the Red Sea? He's now meeting up with his father-in-law again. And there's a real good reason, a practical reason for it. We're going to get to it in a minute. 
After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, see, when he went down to Egypt to demand the release of the children of Israel, he left his wife and his children there. This was no place for women and children. And so he left them uh, with his wife's father in his father's household until he could accomplish the task. And now his father-in-law is bringing his wife to him. After Moses sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named uh, Gershom, for Moses said, named his kids meaningful names, uh, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. You know, his firstborn son, after he had just left Egypt, he considered himself an Egyptian. God was retraining him, retooling his mind under the good influence of Jethro and his family. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wives, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. Reconnecting again with his family. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and he kissed him. They greeted each other and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law, you can imagine, you know, he Spent 40 years with this man in the wilderness, tending this man's sheep. And he had learned so much from this man, he couldn't wait to tell him about what God had done. All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. All the miracles that he had seen for Israel's sake. And about all the hardships they had met on the way. And how the Lord had saved them, you know, through them all. And Jethro, this priest of Abraham's faith, was delighted to hear about the good things the Lord had done for Israel. In rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Now as I mentioned, uh, Moses' life can be divided into 40-year periods. Three different 40-year periods. And this is from Prince of Egypt. Uh, It's a movie that was done in animation a while back. I think Disney, uh, uh, maybe Pixar, I'm not sure. But uh, if you haven't seen it, if your grandchildren haven't seen it, you need to break this one out because it's really well done and, and it's true. Uh, this first one shows how he was raised under Pharaoh's household. And you remember, this was a time after 400 years when Israel was in captivity in Egypt. And, and how uh, Pharaohs became afraid of Israel because they had become so strong. And they thought if they ever get attacked, Israel's going to turn against us. And we're going to have to fight enemies from without and enemies from within. And so the Pharaoh of that day commanded that all male children would be executed at the time of their birth. And uh, none of the midwives would do that. Uh, They would not kill a baby. And so then these women were left with, how do I raise this child knowing it's illegal to have a male son? And this man's wife, Moses' mother, I mean, Moses' mother hid him. And she consigned Miriam, his older sister, to watch for him. And, And she would float him in a basket during the day and then receive him into the house at night. And one day while doing that, Pharaoh's daughter found the baby. And Miriam, the sister nearby, said, well, I know a nursemaid that can help you raise this child if you would like me to go fetch her. And, and Pharaoh's daughter said, well, yeah, that would be great. Was, to her, it was like a puppy, I suppose, and she wanted some help. And, and so what did Miriam do? She went and got Moses' own mother. And Moses' own mother became a nursemaid to Moses. So Moses was under the influence, and God was doing this. And I think God does this in your life. God puts people in your life who are influencing you, uh, even if you don't know that. Now, you don't necessarily always take advantage 
And maybe you even, aren't even aware, but if you look back on your life, you can see how God was taking care of you even then. He, he put Miriam in Moses' life, his older sister. He put his own mother, which is not mentioned by name, but his own mother was his nursemaid and raised him to know the true God even while she was teaching him in Pharaoh's house. And he also put him in Pharaoh's house so that he could learn all about military tactics and about leadership. It reminds me of a passage in Isaiah 65 that says, My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain. They will bear children. They will not bear children doomed for misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. And this is the important part of this passage from Isaiah 65. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Before Moses even knew to pray for help and influence, God was providing it. He did that for my life. I guarantee you he did it for yours whether you know it or not. So first of all, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. Secondly, uh, he decided that he was going to rescue his people. He identified, the book of Hebrews tells us, he identified with the Hebrew people. He could look at his skin. You know, he, he could look at uh, the way his mother had nursed him and raised him and trained him. And he knew that he was not an Egyptian. He knew he was a Hebrew. And when he reached a certain age, 40, after the end of 40 years, he decided he was going to lead a rebellion against Egypt. If he could just get these slaves to rise up because they were strong and they were num- numerous and they could overthrow Egypt. And so he went out one day and he tried to stir the slaves to rebellion. It turned out badly. He killed uh, one Egyptian taskmaster. And, and the slaves who were not used to leading stepped back and said, this is going to be nothing but trouble for us. And they abandoned him. And so he had to flee Egypt. He fled Egypt to Midian and he became a shepherd uh, for Jethro and Jethro's flocks for 40 years. Until God who had poured a lot of investment into him and Moses not even realizing it came to him in a burning bush. And he said, Moses, I have a job for you. Go down to Egypt. And bring the children of Israel. Ah, can you imagine Moses said, I tried that once, Lord. It did not work. It did not turn out so well. That's why I'm here now. He said, go and I will be with you. And so he did go down. And then he did lead them out through the miracles that God provided. And for the last 40 years, he led the children of Israel, you know, out of Egypt to the land of promise. That's the 40-year, 40-year, 40-year story of Moses and the influences in his life. Now let's... Look at Jethro's advice and counsel uh, to Moses. Uh, He brings his family to him. Moses is about to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. He had no idea it would take 40 years. He expected it would only take a year. Um, But there's a reason. They were unfaithful. And so God consigned them to wondering. But before that, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around Moses from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing... For the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Notice he doesn't say, you're an idiot, Moses. You know, you're going about this all wrong. You know, he he just asked him a question. Why are you doing this for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge? Well, all these people stand around waiting for you from morning until evening. Moses answered him, isn't it obvious? Because the people come to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and I inform them of God's decrees and his instruction. Now Moses' father-in-law replied after having some discussion, summed up only by that one question, but probably a lot more. What you're doing really, Moses, is, is not good. It's not good for you. It's not good 
for your people. You're going to wear yourselves out. And Moses was probably already feeling that. This work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. You know, Jethro pours good advice into Moses. Now this says a lot about Jethro. It also says a lot about Moses, that he was able to also receive good advice. Good advice is always wise advice. But great advice is always full of care. This was advice that was given in a relationship. This was advice given by a man that Moses trusted. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. He had a relationship, and there's an important lesson for us. You know, when you have a relationship with somebody, even then go gently. Say, you know, how do you feel about what's going on in your life? How's that working out for you? You know, and, and Moses, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, I'm all day long from dusk till dawn waiting on people. People are waiting on me. I never get it done. And then finally after uh, that council, he said, you know, let me help you and let me help the people. You know, his concern was not to prove Moses wrong, not to seem superior. His influence for good was out of care and concern for Moses and out of care and concern for people. Great advice is wise. Uh, good advice is wise. Great advice is wise and full of care. Now, Moses, on the other hand, had to also receive the advice. When it comes to receiving advice, uh, good people care to be better. You know, I want to be better. And, and who doesn't? You know, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better husband. I want to be better at my job. You know, why? Is that for your own sake, for your own reputation, for your own success? You know, good people care to be better. Great people want to care better. And Moses truly wanted to be a better leader. It wasn't that he would appear wise. It wasn't so that he could have greater authority. It was that so that he could do his job better. He was just a means to an end. And he never thought of himself as more than that. So it also has to do with the person who receives good influence, who receives good counsel. There has to be humility on the part of both. And Moses certainly demonstrated it when he didn't only hear what his father-in-law had to say, but he applied it. And it didn't matter to him where the advice came from if it helped him do his job better. There's a summary uh, statement that is, is uh, often said but, but maybe um, quickly dismissed when in fact there's truth. People don't care what you know if they don't know that you care. Before you can really be an influence, you have to have a caring relationship. And that's been true of everybody who's had an influence in my life. I know that they want the best for me. And uh, then I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to hear what they have to say. Well, we have uh, an example of two men dropping their guard for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the people that they are called to lead. Let's continue with the reading in verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and he did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and he made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought on to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Now can you imagine that increased uh, uh, the care and concern for people. It gave other people uh, a sense of importance as they became judges. And it also helped Moses and his family. It was a sustainable model. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. An example of two men who only cared for the outcome and not for their own reputation. 
John Maxwell, we would call the, the priest of San Diego, I suppose. He was pastor in uh, Skyline in San Diego for a number of years. Uh, his counsel was so wise and, and so godly that he actually was consulted by major industry as to what they should do in making their companies better. So much so that uh, uh, he left his church in charge of another great pastor and he's established a, a Christian consulting company in Atlanta now. Uh, he's written a number of books. Uh, one of them I have in my library called The 21 Ir Irrefutable Laws uh, of uh, Leadership. And the number two law was Influence is Leadership. He wrote an entire book on that subject called Leadership is Influence, a Level 5 Leaders. And he talks about five different levels of leaders. And, and here they are. Uh, the first level is people follow you because they have to. You have a title, you have a job, you have certain authority. People don't like you. They don't even believe you're smart. But hey, you know, that's the structure they're in. And, and so they follow you because they have to. Uh, people follow you because they want to. They're going to follow somebody. Nature abhors a vacuum. And they've just decided you're as good as anybody. So they follow you because they want to. They don't have to, but you have influence in their life. We see staff people like that. You know, uh, other people follow them even though they're not their boss. Uh, third, people follow you because you are successful. You know, I don't care so much about you. I maybe don't even like you, but you're successful. And maybe I can learn something from you and I too can be successful. See, it's still task related. It's not relational related. We don't get to that until level four leadership. When influences, people follow you because you are helpful to them. You are helping them grow. And there's benefit to them. And, and so they form a personal relationship. That's a level four leader. But I think most of us would want to be a level five leader. People follow you because of who you are and what you represent. Indeed, they even want to be like you. I would hope that this is what Christians want to be. You know, uh, not necessarily looking for influence, not looking for authority, not looking for power, not even looking for respect from others, but just being a godly person in your relationships. And being a godly person in your relationships means you are also a wise person in your relationship, that you're giving wisdom that is care-filled wisdom. And, and people know that you care and they know that it's not about you. They know it's not even about them. It's about, you know, how to be better in helping other people. And so they say, that's a person I want to be like. I want to imitate. And that's what we find in Christ. And that's why we are like we are. And that's the kind of leader that everyone wants to grow to be. Now there are intentional ways that you can give and receive leadership. There are some givens, like I mentioned, family and school. I mean, we don't choose those people. You know, we're put in certain circumstances. But if those influences haven't been all that they need to be for you, you can also pursue other influences. You know, I go to conferences. I read certain authors. In fact, uh, I was talking with Pastor Dion the other day, you know, about where do you go to receive the kind of encouragement that you need to receive when you're not necessarily getting it from denominational officials. You know, duh. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you find models of leadership then? I think, man, that's why I read history. That's why I read about great people who rose above circumstance, you know, who despite, you know, uh, the conditions that they found themselves in, uh, became significant leaders. Uh, you can choose to do that as well. And then you can also be an intentional influencer. Uh, Today more than ever, you can look around in your relationships and be intentional about the influence that you can be in the lives of a few, but even with social media. 
I mean, it's just so important. And, and I see people who evidence Christianity constantly in the affirmation and the positive way in which they express themselves. And I see other people who are Christian who just don't do that, who are tearing down, who are criticizing, who are being negative, and it's not helpful, and those are not people that others will want to become like. You know, we can have given situations of influence, and we can also choose situation of influence. Let me just have uh, a moment here with you to talk about some takeaways from today's message of Jethro and, and Moses. First of all, uh, I think we all need mentors, we all need colleagues, and we all need protégés, you know, to... to to really be the kind of people, the kind of influential people and receive the kind of influence that we need. You know, Moses had mentors in his own mother. Uh, he had a mentor in Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't even know it, but he was, treat, he was teaching this man how to lead. Can you imagine the leadership instruction that he got in Pharaoh's court? Uh, and he had Jethro, this, this priest of Midian. For 80 years, he sat under some great leadership, a spiritual mentor in Jethro, uh, political, uh, organizational, military leader in Pharaoh. Uh, he had mentors in his life. You need colleagues. If, if you read the story of Moses, he had Miriam, his older sister, who stayed with him throughout uh, his time of leadership. He had Aaron, his own brother. And, and so he had people that he could drop his guard with, as Pastor Dion talked about a few weeks ago. And, and he could just be vulnerable with them. He could just step out of his leadership role and he could just be, you know, I'm really struggling with this. You know, can you help me with this? I know that uh, you understand it. And, and so he had friends that he could talk to and he had a protege. He had a protege in, in Joshua. And, and I, I think that's really an important part of, of also learning for yourself. When you begin to pour yourself into the life of others, you'll begin to think about some of the things that you do intentionally and you'll reinforce positive things in your own life. Everyone needs a mentor, a colleague, and a protege. Point two, the best kind of influence is selfless influence. You know, it's influence that has nothing to do with me. It may not even have so much to do with the person I'm influencing. It has to do with the outcome that we all want to achieve, and that's to make the world a better place and, and to help relationships flourish and to be a blessing to others. And finally, the most selfless influence is Christ. It almost goes without saying. But Jesus didn't come to receive honor and praise, to be acknowledged as the great Savior and Lord. That's what everybody was looking for, and, and that's why he was so rejected. You know, because everyone wanted a king. Everybody wanted to wield authority. Jesus came selflessly. You know, in fact, if I mentioned I was going to read a little further in Philippians chapter 2, after he says, you know, consider others more important than yourself, he goes on to say, have the same attitude in your life that was also demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Although he was God, he did not demand respect as God. He did not want his props. He did not demand that even his disciples call him Lord. He came only to accomplish a mission for other people. To suffer, to die, and to rise again for our behalf. No one is more selfless than Jesus. Not so long ago, I, I met with a, uh, a member of our congregation. He'd been around here a while, and, and uh, he'd gone through a, a difficult divorce, and, and it was uh, a divorce known to me, and I, I knew both parties, and it was just sad to see it break up like that. And, and uh, I hadn't seen or heard from him in a while. And then I noticed uh, uh, he was making some offerings again to the church. Sometimes that's the only way we know that you're here. You know, we don't take attendance. Um, 
And, and, and so I jotted him a note. Just, you know, great to see you. And uh, thanks for your support. Hope all is well. And, and just by extending the hand, he called me and said, could you have breakfast with me? And, and so I made arrangements to do that and had an early morning breakfast with him. And uh, he said, Pastor, you, you know a little bit about our situation and, and how difficult it's been. And he says, I got to tell you, you know, I, I've been far from God for a while. You know, I've been part of the bar scene. And he says, you know, I'm not proud of myself and the way I've been living. And then he asked me a question. He says, do you think I'm still acceptable to God? Do you think God has abandoned me and rejected me? And I said, you know, you're a father. I said, think about your own kids. If they would do something that would put them on a track of self-destruction and disappointing to you and, and be less than they should be, would you abandon them? Would they still be acceptable to you? Would you reject them? He said, no, man, my, my heart would go out to them. I would try to figure out, you know, how to intercept them and how to put them back on solid footing. I said, I, I think you just described God's love for you. It's all selfless. It's not that he wants you to be somebody he can be proud of. You know, that's, that's all well and good. But he wants you to practice right behavior for you. Because he has so many blessings that he wants to pour into your life. And you're on a path that leads away from him, not toward him. God isn't about getting props, about getting respect, about being called Lord and Savior, even as Jesus was not. He only wants what's best for you. And when he gives you direction, it's for that reason. No one is more selfless than Christ. Well, let's just wrap this up by talking about the circle of influence. First of all, you receive as Moses received. He received from Pharaoh, he received from his mother, he received from Jethro, and then he put it into practice. And as he practiced it, he reinforced those principles in his own life. The Bible says don't be like somebody who just looks at principles in a mirror. Put them into practice and you'll become your own best influence. So he put them into practice and then he began to share them. He began to share them with future leaders. And this is where I want to wrap up because there's an incredible story. I love this story uh, from Numbers chapter 11. A different Moses now. Uh, Moses at the end of his leadership, not at the beginning of his leadership. And he has this young guy, Joshua. Now this is at the end of 40 years of wandering with the children of Israel. And he had had it with the people. And in fact, in a, in a moment of raw honesty, he went out to God and he shook his fist at God and said, God, just kill me. I can't take the whining and the moaning of these people anymore. I didn't give birth to these people. You made me the leader. I don't want the job anymore. Just take my life. And God came to him and said, Moses, he said, uh, here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to call 70 men that you know. Uh, some of them you've already delegated as judges. I want you to call them out of the camp. And I'm going to take some of the spirit of leadership that I've given to you. And I'm going to spread it among the others. And uh, he says, call them out for a special meeting. So Moses did that. Two men did not come out of the camp. Me, dad, and Eldad. And yet when God's spirit was poured out on these 70 people, these 68 people that met with Moses... Eldad and Medad, although they did not follow instruction and were still with the people and had not come out for the special blessing, they began to prophesy also in the camp. It was obvious that something special had happened to them. And Joshua, the young future leader of the children of Israel, came up and said, Moses, Moses, Eldad and Medad didn't follow instruction and they are prophesying in the camp 
forbid them, cut them off. They should not be leaders. And here's how the mature Moses dealt with the situation. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. You know, he wanted to limit. He wanted the authority. He wanted the recognition. He didn't want anybody else to have it. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Shouldn't you wish that all God's people were prophets, Joshua? And that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. It's not about you, Joshua. It's not about me. It's not about honor. It's not about praise. It's about influence for the betterment of other people, Joshua. Shouldn't you wish that everybody were a prophet? That's the way it should be for us. You know your influence is right when your influence is for the betterment of a situation. Not for your own personal glory. Not even for the betterment of a situation. But for the betterment of God's people. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, bless us and uh, let our lives be a true blessing. A reflection of your love, a reflection of your wisdom, a reflection of your compassion toward other people. This we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.